0: I'm <laughs> sorry. Okay, let's see if we can still do it. All right, let's
1: go. Greetings! Ah.
0: That one wasn't too bad. The old throat hadn't been abused or punished in a while, so that one wasn't too bad. Not bad at all. Greetings, 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 greetings. Welcome. Come on in and turn it up. It's the weekly trim. With yours beardly, the one and only Redbeard. Or at least the only guy who calls himself Redbeard in the next ten square miles or so. How you doing, folks? Appreciate you joining me on the program here this evening. Appreciate you being a part of the old Rastling Redbeard YouTube channel. If you've not, please do consider subscribing. We have not uploaded a whole bunch of content here recently, but you probably could guess why. We're gonna talk about why. We're going to talk about a lot of why's here in this episode, (laughs) but we do appreciate your patronage. We appreciate you being a part of the channel and for tuning in, watching the match videos content reviews, you know, whatever we got going on the real channel here, we appreciate you being a part of it and for participating in this whole shoot match that is wrestling with Redbeard. And we would encourage you to like, comment, share, subscribe, all that good stuff that us YouTubers are supposed to encourage the folks on the other end of these here devices to do. Now, this is the July 20th, 2020 edition of this here program, the weekly trim. And this is my birthday. This is going to be uploaded and presented on my birthday. I'm recording it a day or so in advance. But this is taking place on my birthday. This is a special occasion because this is my 40th birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the applause. It's all very welcome. You can send your gifts and whatnot care of the address that's going to be... No, I'm not putting an address in this description. Not at all. But... I, you know, I do appreciate anyone who's sent messages and whatnot by way of Facebook, Twitter, pull nine yards there, um, because, you know, 40 is one of those things where you look at it and you think, man live. I've been around a while here now, and really and truly, that's pretty indicative of how I feel right now, because of so much that's been going on, really since I've had a chance to talk to you guys, uh, I really just haven't taken the time. Because you know, I looked back on the old channel here and realized that, I, you know, when I sat down to do a recording, I went back and thought, oh, well, it's been a couple of months since I did one of these. It was maybe February or whatnot. Nope, it was like May of last year. So it's been it's been around a year since I've recorded one of these episodes, and that's that's pretty terrible, you know, in my opinion. And I'm criticizing myself so I can do that. I can tell, I can call myself terrible if I want to. And, you know, I I regret not having done more of these because I really always intended for the podcast to be a way not only of me to share my personal thoughts and opinions and experiences on things, but also just as a way of sort of, you know, keeping up with what's out there and keeping kind of a, you know, a running diary or a dialogue, whatever you want to call it there. So I I regret not having recorded more of these and, you know, the, the year has... Uh, for reasons we'll discuss here in a moment presented some opportunities that I just didn't take advantage of as well um so let's let's try and catch up on a few things here let's just get right into it um as I mentioned this is my fortieth birthday this is a this has been a tumultuous year everybody seems to think so and it's been that way for pretty much everybody myself included um I'm glad to be here though I'm very happy to be where I am right now because realistically I am as whole and as I'll say healthy as I have been in quite some time. Um, There's been several instances where in the program's history I've mentioned the fact that I have been living with uh, what's referred to as a ventral hernia. Uh, I could tell you exactly when the hernia happened. It happened whenever we were coming back. What was my girlfriend at that point in time, my wife now. We were coming back from Las Vegas. I picked up a piece of luggage and I felt a pop. And it was in my abdomen, and I felt the pop there, and I'm like, well, what was that? What, what happened there? And it didn't seem to really be anything. So, so later on, as the week after, we were returning from Las Vegas at that point in time, um, as the week went on there, I started n- to notice a little lump in the middle of my abdomen. It didn't hurt. There was no pain involved. And this is, I'll go ahead and preface this whole story in other than you know saying I've got, or had, um that I had the hernia there's some descriptions of some things in here that might not be uh, some folks might take them as being you know something that would offset or that excuse me that would set off someone who's a little squeamish so I'll go ahead and put that warning out there uh, I noticed fairly early on that the hernia was mobile and that if I pushed on it in the right way it would pop back into my abdomen and early on there when it was still small and whatnot I could pop it back in, and it would stay there for a good long while. But things progressed, and I just said, you know, this is not really bothering me, so I'm not going to bother with having surgery to correct it. And it continued on to where I could, you know, pop it back in. Just pop it back in there. It was fine. It never caused me significant pain. Never caused me really any issues whatsoever. And it went on, and it went on, and it went on went on for about right at that was when did we go to Las Vegas in two thousand and nine so it went on for right at ten or eleven years I had that thing, and it got to a point where it had gotten kinda big, but well, it had gotten real big to be honest with you because it, it was still it was to a point where I was trying to hide the hernia with by wearing belts and by wearing. You know, clothing of a certain style and whatnot that was baggy. And also, you know, if you were around me at all, I'm sure you saw me messing with it or pushing on or something like that. It just was something that I was very prone to doing as sort of almost like a fidget or a tick because it was there. It was to a point where I was very, even I'll admit, I was annoyed with it. But, you know, I still tried to hide it because I just, my, my only reasoning for not having the surgery was that I didn't want to have surgery. That's the honest to God's truth. I didn't want to have to deal with it because I knew, for one, it was going to be invasive. And I knew, too, that it was going to be something that I'd have to take some time off at work and recover from. And it just, it always felt like that wasn't really worth my time. In hindsight, it was really worth my time. It was worth a lot of my time. But to fast forward beyond just the description of what I've been doing within the past year, and trying to hide the thing and to mask it because, you know, it, it had gotten to where it was a very noticeable pooch outside of just my normal uh, belly because I've I've got a bit of a belly. I've got a, you know, a, a dad bod here. I'm a I'm a dad for crying out loud. I can have a dad bod. It's a fuel tank. Come on. That's what it is. It's not a gut. It's a fuel tank. Yeah, we're a, we're a you know, chicken wing powered sex machine here, if you want to call it that. Hi, honey. How are you? Appreciate you tuning in. Glad to hear from you. <laughs> But, you know, the the thing had gotten very noticeable. And I kind of had it in mind to where I was like, all right, you know, it's time. We're we're now at a point where we ought to be able to just get this thing knocked out and be done with it. So I had a a normal doctor's appointment coming up on, it was around, it was going to be, I think, March the 18th. I was going to be seeing my normal doctor, and I was going to have a discussion with her at that point in time to say, okay, what do we need to do to get this thing knocked out? Well, as fate would have it, the 18th was not going to be ideal for this surgery or for this meeting to happen. On the evening of March 11th of this year, um, I began to have severe pain in my abdomen. It actually happened earlier in the day. I, I can tell you what happened because I. And it, uh, you know, this is something else they have to mention here as well. In describing what went on that day, uh, and I've told the story to people. They said, well, did you not want to turn that in as like a worker's comp claim? No, because the injury didn't happen while I was at work. It got worse while I was at work and from the fact that I picked up a heavy object but it was by a stretch of the imagination something that was caused by my work or by my employer. So, uh, during that day I picked up it was uh, it's actually a, a stand for dual monitors and the base of these things is basically just a solid steel plate. So it's intended to, you know, offset the weight of those monitors so it can balance it out and provide a nice, you know, even structure for those things to be put onto. Um so I moved that and it, when I moved it I felt at that point in time, a little bit more and here again, you got to say this is where the squeamish part comes out i yeah, it came out all right i could I felt a bit more than usual come out in terms of getting out of the hole that was in my abdomen, and to describe what a ventral hernia is, if you're familiar with the structure of your abdominal muscles, there's sort of, like if you look on any of the you know anatomy pictures and whatnot, there's a seam that goes down the middle of your abdominal muscles, and a ventral hernia happens along that seam where if you had a six-pack, the six-pack would conjoin, um, so that's where the hernia was. And as I mentioned, I was at work moving that piece of equipment and felt the little aspect of the hernia move more so than usual. So usually, you know, as I described before, I've been able to, you know, sit down and, you know, get into the proper position or whatnot, and I could give pressure, and this was probably a very dumb thing to do, but I could give pressure to the hernia and it would pop back in Through the hole and it would kind of it wouldn't it never would seal obviously because hernias don't repair themselves of that nature, um but it would go back in the hole. This one wasn't budging. This one wasn't moving at all, and I was scared because I knew in my mind okay this might be the one here, this might be the time where you don't have a choice anymore. So kept on going throughout the day and I thought okay well when I get home I'll lay down on the bed. And I'll I'll try again to smooth it out. Tried that. Didn't work. So that evening, my son had uh, softball, not softball, but baseball practice. And my wife and I, you know, we always have been very supportive of him. We want him to do well in anything that he pursues. And this is just for fun when he's playing baseball here now. But we were at his practice, and... We were there, and I, I kind of told my wife that you know I, I just don't feel well. I think I'm going to go home and lay down. And you know, at that point in time, I was I was still trying to really convince myself, okay, well, you might be feeling something else. This this could be, this could maybe be diverticulitis or something like that. Because in, in my mind, I was still trying to say, nah, you're not going to have to have surgery. Nah, you're you're going to be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. It's going to pop back in. You'll be all right. You Just go home, lay down for a little bit. It'll soften up and it'll go back in the hole. Did that, laid around for a little bit, and it didn't get any better at all. In fact, it got worse. The pain, I can only describe as, if you've had a stomach cramp, it's somewhat like that. But it's it's like, you know, there's something being clenched inside of you, like you're being squeezed internally. If you hear the jangle in the background, my, my quote-unquote private studio has been invaded by our guard dog, Roddy Boy, um... But it felt as though something was definitely being squeezed internally. And it hurt. It hurt a lot. It was to a point where, you know, I had taken, uh, I took a range of stuff that, again, probably shouldn't have taken. Took a handful of Tylenol. Took some Pepto-Bismol. All this stuff to try and see if, okay, this has got to go away. This has got to get better without me going to the hospital. Because we had started to get kind of the inclination that, you know, there's this thing floating around in the atmosphere that we're not quite sure what it is. We all know what it is now. But at that point in time, it was still very new. And it was something that was just starting to scare people. And I'm talking about the coronavirus, talking about COVID-19. So things progressed there in the evening. And I finally say, you know what, I'm hurting to a point where I've I've got to get help. And there's there was no choice at that point in time other than to go to the emergency room, which the closest one to us is the TRMC, which is the Regional Medical Center in Orangeburg. Uh, you know, people have their opinions of TRMC for one thing or another. As the story goes on here, I'll say that everything that I received in terms of my care there was top notch. Um, I have no complaints whatsoever about the uh, care that I received at that location or at that hospital. But I tell my wife, you know, I've got to go to the hospital. This is too much pain for me to deal with here now. So we kind of waited to do this after Jonathan had gone to bed, my son Jonathan. And she was like, okay, what well, do you want to call an ambulance? I said, no, I think I can drive myself. So get in my car or my truck, drive myself to the hospital, which from where we live, it's only about a 10-minute drive. So not far at all there. Get to the e r get checked in and uh, sit down in the the waiting room there the The waiting room experience was really and truly probably one of the worst parts of this entire ordeal because you know it was not that I expected to be seen quickly. I realized that you know once you go to the e r you're at the mercy of whatever they have in terms of materials and time and personnel to work with, so I get in there, get checked in and I find a sit to find a uh seed to wait in, and the <laughs> and, you know it's i'm I'm flooded with all the memories of that day, and I can't help but laugh at some of the stuff because of how just plain absurd it was, but you know I'm sitting in the, the the wedding room there doubled over in pain um and my mom bless her heart, she comes by to sit with me and to you know be there alongside me. And the whole time in the waiting room there, more people are coming in, and on the TVs, it's just, it's wall-to-wall news channels. And the only thing they're talking about, of course, is this disease, this virus that's coming around that nobody seems to know what it is, but it's suddenly, you know, on the verge of becoming a plague. So that's what we're surrounded by. We're surrounded by people who are having the worst night of their life, clearly, and we're being bombarded. From a you know a audiovisual standpoint, by all this stuff is just you know it's it's like you know some sort of a deprivation chamber or a, a torture chamber almost. So, you know we're there, and I think it might have been on the area of somewhere in an hour before I was actually brought into the triage unit there, and they take your vitals, they draw some blood, whole nine yards there. Uh, the nurse who drew blood from me. Again, I don't have a whole lot of negative comments really to say about TRMC, but she she was stabbing for whatever she could get a hold of. And one of the worst, you know, I had, I'm I'll, I'll kind of jumping ahead here, but I had several wounds that, of course, had to heal as part of the surgery that I was going to have. But the thing that lasted the longest were the bruises from where this woman drew blood out of me. They lasted longer than anything I swear it was terrible. That and the adhesive that they put on you whenever they stick you with those IVs and whatnot. The, the bruises from the blood draw and the adhesive were what lasted longer than anything else. But, she, you know, I go through the triage, um, as, or triage process there. And uh, a little bit later on, they finally bring me back when a room is available. And they say, okay, well, we've got to do a couple of scans on you here. But it looks as though you're going to be headed for what's going to be considered an emergency surgery. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll just, just let's knock it out. Let's get it done. So they go in to prep me to have a couple of scans. Um, had a few issues with the scans in terms of the technician that was working on them and being able to push through some of the fluid that they use to get a good, you know, aspect of what your or excuse me, to get a good uh, visual of what your body looks like internally there. So that took a little bit of time. Um, finally, got all that done, and they start prepping you for the actual surgery, where they uh, get you on the table, and it's just—it's really such a unique experience. Because I'll be honest, I've never had a surgery that was of this nature or of this major a consideration ever in my life. I've been very fortunate in that regard. The only real surgery that I can ever remember having. And this, I don't even know if you want to call this surgery, but I had a wart removed from my left thumb back when I was a child, and that was the only thing I can remember. And That was somewhat traumatizing in and of itself because of the fact that the process the doctor used was to burn the wart, slice off the burnt layer, burn the wart, slice off the burnt layer, until he was, I guess adequately satisfied that he'd gotten all of it but you know that was the process then you never forget what the smell of your own flesh burning is like so that's that. but before i get into actually talking about the surgery itself and all the ins and outs and good stuff that happened at that point in this whole process i want to take a little break uh listen to some music and we'll be back in a few minutes to talk about the experience that uh, picks up after I'm on the old operating table there and about to have some uh, shuffling of the old insides, as we'll call it. So stay tuned. Be back in a few minutes. Appreciate you hanging out with us here on the the Redbeard YouTube channel and the weekly (laughs) Train. Thank you for continuing to hang out with us here on the old Rasselwood Redbeard YouTube channel for the weekly trim program. Uh, once again, appreciate your time, appreciate you being a part of the channel and listening to the show. We're talking about today, uh, sort of catching up with where I've been and with some things that I've been dealing with here the past couple of months. Specifically, my hernia surgery and my recovery and where where I am now in terms of this whole process and in terms of twenty twenty as a whole. So we talked in the first segment there about where I was. By this point in the story, I'm pretty well prepped for the operation and I'm about to, you know, be put under and what have you. And this is where things started to get real weird and real cloudy. Because whenever I got prepped for the surgery, I want to say that they, br- they may have, and again, because of the drugs and what have you, I don't have a real clear memory of the order of proceedings, but I want to say that I was in a room and that they, you know, at that point in time, you have an opportunity to kind of disrobe and sort of get ready to be wheeled away. I, I want to say I had that opportunity because I don't think that I was... In my clothes, like in my normal street clothes, whenever I was taken down to the surgical prep area, I may be totally wrong. <laughs> Again, this is where it kind of gets fuzzy. So I, I was either in my old clothing or I was in a gown. Some way, shape, or form, I was dressed to some you know, degree. But they uh, bring you into what amounts to sort of a holding room. And I I seem to remember there being another individual in there with me who was either waiting to be operated on or who had been waited on, or excuse me, who had been operated on. Um, at least that's the part of the memory that I have anyway. So it's, it's not one of those situations where you strike up conversation where it's like, Hey buddy, what are you in for? That kind of thing. No, you just, you're, you're both laying there and all you have is your thoughts at that point in time. Cause you're really, you know, you're by yourself. There's nothing there, but you and God, so my whole time that i'm there uh, i'm thinking about the fact that you know, i i didn't really get to spend any time with my wife that day i didn't get to spend any time with my son that day and my in my mind my, my concern was okay if something goes tits up here and i don't make it through this for some ungodly reason the last memory that my son has of me is going to be of me hurting and sort of rolled up in a ball on the side of the bed before he went to sleep himself. So, you know, it's, it's all this stuff that comes in your mind, and it's it's one of those things where you're trying to, I guess, accept the situation, but at the same time, it's very difficult because in my case, it was like, uh, all this has gone wrong. All this has just gone completely out of control, and I have no way of impacting this in any way, shape, or form. So I might as well have been tied to the table, which in some weird turn of events, I think I was tied to the table whenever they started operating on me. But, you know, the things continue to progress there, and um, the anesthesiologist comes in makes himself known there that, uh, you know, this is what we're going to do and this is uh, what we're looking at and some other nurses and this kind of thing. And when they start to deliver the anesthesia, they, of course, put the mask on you, and they say, you take deep breaths, take deep breaths, and count, I think they said count back from 10 or something like that. I don't remember what number I got to, but within short order, you know, you start to breathe, and you're taking this stuff in, and there's no, it doesn't have like a scent or an aroma or whatever, but you can sense that there's a difference to the density of what's hitting your lungs. Because it's like this is a little bit thicker than what air should be. So you're inhaling this stuff and within short order, of course, you're dead to the world, passed out. And then you're underway. You know, you're being operated on. You're totally at the will of the people who have the surgical implements that are gonna be, you know, doing whatever they do to you. So I think in my case, the operation was uh, it was successful. You know, it, it was perfectly fine in terms of what they did. Um, but I think that the process and the actual uh, cleanup, whatever you want to call it, repair, patch job, whatever you want to call it, was a little more, not to say involved, but a little more uh, sizable than what they maybe were used to because um the surgery was done laparoscopically. It was not, you know, a real invasive thing in that I had some big gaping wound or whatnot. I wound up with nine small incisions. One of them was larger than the others, because if you if you ever look at um, YouTube, and Lord knows you can find everything on YouTube anymore, but if you look on YouTube, there are of course videos of how this procedure is conducted, and the, the, on the video that I found, there is a uh point in the surgery example where they make a incision that is larger than the others that's intended to allow them to put in things like the scope that they use to see what's where and some of the other tools and uh, things that they utilized during the surgery there as well so one of the holes was bigger than the other but for the most part they were very small uh, nothing you know, huge there whatsoever but they installed a surgical mesh over the uh, the porthole there, if you want to call it that, and um, used that and some other techniques to close up the hole. And then once they were done, they uh, took what you know was really some surgical glue, kind of like super glue almost, to cover the holes. Um, the one surprise we had was whenever I, um, you know, I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but whenever I got out of uh the hospital bed for the first time and it was really, you know, thinking, okay, well this is part of the healing stage here, we've just gotta get it done. They had little bandages over where um where the incisions were. And they had told us well there's wound glue there that's holding you together, so just be very careful in taking off those bandages. We took off the bandages and uh, look at there staples. They didn't tell us a thing about there being staples in the old abdomen, but guess what? There were a whole bunch of staples in my abdomen. So that was one thing we had to deal with there after the surgery was the the process of saying, okay, well we we've got staples here, we've got to be ginger around these here now. Um, but uh, let me back up and get to a point here where we talk about post surgery. Uh, the the real trauma, the only real trauma that I can describe in this process was waking up off of the the table that process was absolutely terrifying because when I woke up it felt like I was drowning it really felt like I could not breathe and yet there you know I have this sort of memory of people in the room yelling at me Mr. Truesdale breathe breathe Mr. Truesdale breathe we need you to breathe and I couldn't there at first. I don't know if I had a tube down my throat or really what the the, the situation there was. But it really and truly felt like I was drowning there at first. It did eventually, you know, come around. Some folks in my family have a, a tendency to not come out of anesthesia well. My aunt, she has this, this, not really a condition, but it's just a, a situation where she just plain does not come out of anesthesia all that easily. Apparently, I'm the same way. Um. So, but they they got me well, woke up there and sit back up to the room. Uh, again, good drugs are good drugs. So I don't have a whole lot of recollection of pain or whatnot. Uh, the next couple of days after were mostly spent in the, the hospital room there. Actually, they were all spent in the hospital room there. The situation was one of those deals where, in my head, I'm thinking, okay. Well, I'll be here, you know, overnight or whatnot, and I'll get to go home pretty quickly. Well, I ended up spending two nights in the hospital. I wasn't planning on that at all. Um, it was it was necessary though because the conditions with my surgery were, were such that they wanted to, you know, look for things like infection. They wanted to make sure that all was nice and you know kosher before they sent me on my way. Um, the the big challenge in the whole couple of days there was getting up out of the bed. You never really count on having the opportunity to use your abdominal muscles until you can't use them at all. And, you know, they they tell you, okay, well, you've you've got to use your legs to push off. You've got to use your arms. You've got to do this, that, and the other. Because in my condition, I could not use my abdominal muscles. There was a lot of risk there in terms of saying, okay, well, if you do that, you might pop something that's in there. And it's like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? It's a very big challenge to be able to do normal things and not utilize your abdominal muscles. Because they're so often used in things just like stabilizing yourself and moving around. Try it sometime. Try getting up out of a chair and not clenching your abdominal muscles at all. It's challenging. It really is challenging. Trust me, I know. So the first couple of days there, you know, the challenge is getting up out of the, the bed the challenge becomes, you know, things like going to the bathroom and whatnot, because in my condition, I couldn't really, um, couldn't really be relied on to, in some cases, make it to the bathroom. But I know that's gross there as well, but sometimes it was like, oh, gotta go. So a bedpan and the old bottle there became a friend. It just was what it was. Um, the real big thing was getting up and actually walking around. And that was a a tough challenge because, again, you know, it's something that requires a lot of utilization of your core muscles. So the first time I got up and walked around the hallway there, I was using a walker. Uh, And I, I felt as helpless as could be in that moment because there's nothing you can do other than just rely on whatever's around you. And in that instance, it was the walker, my wife, and one of the nurses. So here I am, just you know, walking through the hallway here. It's you know, there in the hospital, and I'm terrified that I'm going to move incorrectly, or something is going to happen, and I'm, my insides are just going to burst and fall over the floor. That was my biggest and worst fear at that point in time. Fortunately, I was put together pretty well. the The glue was holding, you know, the staples were holding me together, uh, but it was still just very, very scary. And I was very, very, very tired. Um, Just the the soreness from having been in surgery, the soreness from having been in bed for almost 24 hours there uh, straight, Uh, just a lot of stuff to combat and to overcome. But did it slowly but surely. We were able to get out of the hospital there after two days, like I mentioned, Um, the other big thing that I'll talk about. People always are critical of you know hospital food. They want to say hospital food is terrible. I I don't think hospital food is terrible at all. I think hospital food is quite good. The problem with hospital food is that they don't season it, and they can't because you know in most cases folks who are in the hospital. They're either on low sodium diets or they're in some way trying to be controlled in terms of saying okay well this is the amount of. Uh, sugar or salt or whatever that you're allowed per day. So typically they just don't season things, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. The food is good. If you put a little tiny bit of salt on it, it would be fantastic food. People would you know, jump over joy and say, oh, this is great. You know, I'd love to have another meal like this. This is good food. It's good quality food. Just needs a little bit of seasoning. So the you know the food was not bad. The food was quite good. Uh, the, the 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 thing that in terms of you know sustenance or any type of ingestion of food, water or whatever, um, I just I remember begging for ice water or something like that because my body was really just you know uh, to a point where I was craving it after a day or so there had not had anything to drink in more than a day. So I I asked, you know, can can I have anything you know, as far as you know, a drink, water, ice chips, something like that? And the nurse that was there with me, I wish I could remember her name, but she was a, a nice young lady, uh, redhead, wore glasses, whole nine yards there. Looked very much you know like what you would think of as a, a nurse. Somewhat straight out of school would be, but I think she had several years of experience. But at any rate, uh, she was a very pleasant young lady. All the nurses were, though. But um, she, after I asked, she said, "Well, I can get you some swabs for right now until we can get you some water and some ice." And my reaction was, "Swabs? Swabs? What? Are, what, are, what are we talking about here?" And she said, "Well, they're little, um, like they're larger size Q-tips that have moisture on them. I can get you some that are flavored. There's some that are flavored like lemon. Do you like lemon? Sure, I love lemon. At this point, you could have given me something that tasted like pine salt. So long as it was wet, I would have been perfectly fine with it. But she brings these swabs to me, and I put the first one in my mouth. And the immediate reaction was, my God, this is fantastic. Because I just wanted something that was wet, period, at that point. Um, but then, you know, it starts to wear off pretty quick, because what was a oversized Q-tip, we'll say, suddenly becomes this gummy, gelatinous, blob on the end of the paper stick because as you're moving it around in your mouth you know in my case i this is another gross thing about the story but in my case i tend to have very mucusy spit because of allergies that i have and whatnot so when i'm moving this thing around it's picking up all that stuff in my mouth and these things just become like i described very it's like a jellyfish on the end of a stick at that point in time so they've got to be pretty gross but finally i did get some ice and some water and that was fantastic But got to come home and start the, you know, the real nuts and bolts of the the healing process. And this is where, you know, I've already think I've described the situation as this being where things get interesting. But this is where things get more interesting. Because now, it's not just Robert whose world has been turned sideways. It's pretty much the whole world that's been turned sideways. So, we're going to take another break, listen to some music here again, and then we'll be back to talk about what happened after I got home. Stay tuned, folks. Be back in a few minutes.
2: Children, not to walk my way. Tell your children not to hear my words, what they mean, what they say. Mother, mother, can you keep your children in the dark for life? Can you hide them from the way? take your daughter out tonight gonna show her my world father. not about to see your life but if you want to find hell with me i can show you what it's like till you're bleeding. Not about to see your light, but if you wanna find hell with me, I can show you what it's like. Mother, tell your children not to hold my hand. Tell your children not to understand. Mother. Do you want to bang heads with me? Do you want to feel everything further? Not about to see your light But if you want to find hell with me I can show you what it's like You wanna find hell with me, I can show you what it's like. want to find hell with me I can show you what it's like Till you bleed hey, I am not about to see your light If you want to find hell with me I can show you what it's like Mother Mother
0: Appreciate you all continuing to hang out with me here on the old Wrestling with Redbeard YouTube channel as we continue with this edition of the weekly trim, where I regale you with the story of where I've been and where I am now, in regard to some situations that I've encountered with my personal health and uh, just where 2020 has kind of brought us to to be here at this moment in time. We were talking in the previous segment about uh, my pernius surgery and about the uh, conditions of the hospital there. And now we're at a point where I'm back home. The whole transition from hospital to home was something else because, you know, again, we're in this sort of touchy situation where I'm like, all right, I've got to be able to get around. I've got to be able to do this, that, and the other. And I can't use any of the muscles that I'm accustomed to using. So, it was a challenge to do almost anything. And one of the bigger challenges was to um, maneuver around in a situation like the bathroom, for example. Uh, when you have to, you know, look for, again, um, I've, I feel like I've warned you folks several times here in terms of me describing this story, but in taking the painkillers that I was on, one of the things that you have to do to combat the effects of those is to take a stool softener. In some cases, uh, that can have interesting results, and that was where I was with this whole process because it was starting to be clear that uh, I was able to come off of the painkillers, and then as I was taking the stool softeners, and what have you, the colon there did what it's going to do, and... You know, it was just a challenge to get up and down off of the toilet is what I'm getting at here, is The the toilets around our house, for a guy my size or for someone my height, they're kind of low. They're to a point where I'm almost kind of squatting when I'm on the toilet, which some people would probably say that's the best position you could be in in terms of the position of your colon and whatnot. But we, you know, face challenges there, face challenges in just getting up out of a chair uh, doing all these basic things, taking a shower. Uh, for two weeks, I slept upright in one of our recliners we have in our living room uh, because of the fact that I normally sleep on my side. And, of course, with those staples in my abdomen, I didn't want to lay on my side and potentially disrupt one of those things or cause it to dig in further or you know, to do anything that was going to, in some way, you know, ruined the work that had been done to repair my abdomen. So slept in a chair for two weeks until I went back to my surgeon and they removed the staples at that point in time. The staple removal was very easy. I will say again, that the care I've received has been very, uh, very top notch, very excellent in terms of, you know, the people I've been able to work with. Um, having the staples taken out was not painful, but it was Kind of sensitive, I'll say, because the again, if you've never had this done, what they do when they remove the staples is they have sort of a uh, a device that doesn't pull them out. What it does is it breaks the middle of the staple, and then they take out the individual pieces. Uh, it's a lot easier than having it done some other way. My question to the nurse that did the removal was, do, "Do you guys administer any kind of like local anesthetic?" And she said no because doing that would actually be more painful than what we do to you in terms of removing the staples. And she was right; it, it didn't hurt very much at all. A little pressure, a little sensitive, but not bad. Uh, so once I got the staples out, things start to continue to progress. Healing is continuing, starting to get a little stronger here and there, being able to move around. One of the things that I was, you know, really hit by was the fact that I couldn't bend over, couldn't do a lot of things, in terms of being able to dress myself and in terms of being able to, you know, just do sort of basic functional movements. So I um, started using a walking cane, started using a cane to assist me with a lot of stuff, like just you know getting dressed and whatnot, because it was a tool that I could use to help me get to those lower items and to just items in general uh, that I needed. And it was you know something that I really came to live by. So my stick was a, a very useful tool. It helped me a lot. I still have it. I told some people I think I'm going to modify it. Uh, maybe give it a nice paint job and whatnot because it's kind of a basic bamboo cane that my, my mom had actually given it to me saying, okay, well, if you, you know, want to exercise and walk it around the neighborhood and whatnot, here's your walking stick. And I never really used it for that because it didn't really have a chance to, to be honest, from the point in time that she gave it to me. But um, the, the stick was a, a godsend in terms of it being a tool to help me get around and to really just get better. So it was great to have that Uh, The little item there on hand, mom, if if you ever listen to this, you really were a godsend and you have been for my entire life. And that was just one more example of how you've put things into my life that have been able to help me to get to where I am. Uh, You've always been there for everything that I needed. And uh, that's just one more item there that, uh, that describes that. But uh. Here's, you know, as we've said, you know, here's where things get interesting. Well, here's where things get real weird, in my opinion, because as I'm coming out of the hospital coming home, suddenly, you know, the world just goes complete batshit insane. Everything closes. My work closes. Movies close. Malls close. The NBA shuts down. Everything just goes away, because now we've got to hide. We've got to cower, and we've got to put our heads in the sand type thing, all this covid nightmare comes across the entire world it was just such a bizarre thing to look at and to see because here i was at home already you know not able to really do anything because of the fact that i was under doctor's orders not to leave the house not to do a whole lot of things so for 14 days i was already under quarantine i didn't have a choice i was hurt didn't have anything to do there but stay at the house and watch tv So here I am sort of consuming and absorbing all this stuff that's on the news. And it was all I could do to just not get plain old cross-eyed and looking at all this stuff because it was crazy. It was absolutely insane to see the world change so quickly. And I'm trying to, you know, look at things like Netflix and YouTube and all this, that, the other to satiate my desire to see something other than the downfall of modern society. But it just, you know, it was there the whole time. And to somewhat make matters worse was the notion that, you know, my job was continuing and I wasn't there. So I had people that were sort of trying to fill in for me and do the best that I can or that they could, and it worked out for the most part, but there were some things that happened that, you know, I just wish I could have been there to, to be a part of and to sort of help to enact because... When it comes to my office, I'm an army of one. I work in information technology by day, and it it was kind of a mess to have to do all this stuff remotely. Um, Especially, you know, when I can't go to the office at all, I couldn't go anywhere uh, because the fact that I was again full of holes. So, you know, the workplace situation there was a mess. The world was a mess. My son, you know, God bless my in-laws because my son was staying with them for the most part for this whole process. My wife had to continue to go to work, so I'm here at the house for the, for the duration by myself. My mom comes over a little bit, but then, we, you know, when you think there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel, turns out my aunt gets the coronavirus, And she's got a terrible case of it because she has some other health issues there as well. She was really close to leaving this earth, unfortunately. But she was fortunate to be seen by some doctors at Lexington Medical Center in Lexington, South Carolina. Um, Just some really brilliant folks who knew what they were doing, knew how to treat it. And do what they could do to get her better. She was up there for about 14 days, but God bless them and God bless her. She's perfectly healthy now. She came around and is doing fine. They did a plasma um, therapy treatment on her to where they more or less, it's kinda like it's, it was described to me in such a way that it almost made it sound like dialysis, but for the plasma in your blood. Um, very interesting process. She's actually been a part of a paper that the, the, the doctors that treated her um, are putting together. So I think she's going to get a copy of it eventually, but they um, they made her the, the subject of a paper that they're publishing on treating the coronavirus, which is amazing. Uh, the fact that something that my aunt endured could help hopefully, you know, hundreds of thousands of people out there. Um, but, you know, the whole thing has just been absolutely crazy from work to family, and fortunately, you know my my uncle he he contracted it as well, but it was a much more minor case. He was it turned out he only had what well, amounted to like a small cold. You know, some some people this thing affects in such a way that you're near death. Some people it's like a sniffle. So it just kind of depends on who you are, seemingly. But you know, we haven't really known too many other people who've been impacted by this thing from a perspective of being actually. Um, diagnosed with it or having contracted it. It, But the world, you know, continues to be weird. South Carolina, I just don't know. You know, we're we're at a point now where they opened up. They said, okay, we're going to bring the businesses back online. We're going to open up the beaches. We're going to get the economy going. And it just, it seems like for the most part, that's been an all right idea. But then you start to see all these numbers about the number of cases per day, and it just it really blows your mind in terms of saying, okay, well, was this a good idea? Were we sort of the test bed to see what was going to happen with the rest of the world or the rest of the country if you opened up full scale or if you opened up to the degree that our state did anyway? It's really crazy because you see like thousands of people per day seemingly coming down with this thing. And the recovery rate, of course, is is very high. It's greater than 90 percent. I want to say at this point in time, which you know, the 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 percentage then says, okay, well, nine out of ten people are gonna be fine for contracting this thing. Okay, well, guess what? I hope you're not that tenth guy because you are effed. And uh, people are willing to accept that. And a lot of people have compared this to the flu and to other diseases that go around. I'm sorry, but flu just doesn't, not everybody gets the flu. This seems like something that everybody is going to wind up getting at some point in time. And that may be the case. And that will be very unfortunate if it is. Because now, you know, we're <laughs> we're really sitting in an oddball scenario. Because now they're talking about, oh, we're going to send everybody back to school five days a week here in a couple of weeks. I'm sorry. Uh, what? And this is this is the most incredulous thing that I've heard any of our government types really speak of, at least the local ones, anyway. Because if you're not familiar with South Carolina state government, our governor is Henry McMaster. And a couple of days ago, you know, and I'll say this as parents, my wife and I, you know, we've been antagonizing over this for because for about a week now, we've had a conversation every night thinking about. Okay, well, what are we going to do? What's the process going to be? Are they going to open up schools? Are we going to have to do e-learning? Are we going to do part of one, part of the other? We just didn't know. We have no idea. We still don't have an idea, to be honest with you. But Governor McMaster is lovingly known as Foghorn Leghorn to a lot of folks. If you go and listen to the man talk, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about there because he sounds exactly like Foghorn Leghorn. But he came out here a few days ago in the middle of a press conference and said, yes, we will go back to five days a week. You will have the choice of five days a week or virtual learning. As if to say, okay, well, this is what you have as parents to choose from, five days a week or virtual, where you would more or less have your child at home and they would be learning by sitting in front of a screen. My wife and I, you know, we, we agree that both are feasible, Well, let me back up there. We agree that the possibility of going to school physically is doable, but not in the scale that they're talking about. Uh, Our local school district here has said, okay, we're thinking of a plan of doing like hybrid learning where two days a week you'll be at school, two days a week you'll be at home. That fifth day we'll engage in deep cleaning around the facility. The other two aspects of their potential plan were to um, go straight e-learning with the potential of adopting hybrid at some point later on or to just do straight virtual, which they said if you did that one, you were going to be in that the entire year and you wouldn't have a chance to come back to the hybrid, which is sort of a planning and a logistics thing. But from what McMaster was saying, it didn't seem like what he had in mind and with what our local school system has in mind, are at all congruent. So as parents, my wife and I are now antagonizing over what is going to come next for us. Because we are both scared to death of the possibility that our son would get sick and uh, have something detrimental happen to him. Because he's, he's our world. Both of us, he is our world. And the notion that we would in some way shape or form, be forced to sending him to an environment that would be kind of a i don't wanna I don't wanna use the word cesspool" because that's really sort of adversarial when it comes to describing our school system, but I don't wanna I don't know of a better word to really put it because when you're talking about so many kids and so many people in one confined area to where a lot of them could potentially be infected you're talking about a really high percentage of contagion there. And my wife and I are just terrified of that because, you know, he gets sick potentially and, you know, maybe it doesn't hit him that hard. Maybe it's just like a mild cold for him or, you know, maybe it's terrible. And then he brings it home and guess what? I get it or she gets it or we both get it. It's just, it's one of these things where we, we don't have any good answers. And we're we're really hoping and praying that something comes along to where it can make both of us have a lot more confidence in what the potentialities are here going forward. We can't not, you know, continue his education. He's got to continue learning. Uh, the challenge is just saying, okay, well, this is the best way forward. And we don't know what that is right now. And, you know, we've thought about the idea of putting him in, private school but that's not something we're real keen on for a number of reasons um so we're you know we're at a really impasse we're trying to hope and pray that the the best way forward comes out of somewhere uh but we just don't know right now we really don't know uh and that's kind of where we are you know, there's some other stuff that happened along the way there that we could talk about but at this point in time I just I don't feel like that's something that could really be delved into because realistically um this whole year has just been such a, a crazy crazy thing the situation you know, with me personally with my health and whatnot knock on wood and praise god above you know I'm I'm as whole as I'm going to be at this point in time Um, the wounds are all healed. I'm a little weird shaped in the middle from where the skin was distended and whatnot from the, the hernia haven't been there, but you know, in terms of being put together and not having a hole in my gut, yeah, I'm fine as far as that's concerned. So, you know, all things totaled, it's not that bad. Could be a lot worse. Could definitely be a lot worse, but you know, we're, we're going to keep on keeping on. We're hoping that. I won't say the world will ever return to normal, but I'm not going to use the other term that gets floated around here and trying to describe the new normal of our lives because I don't think that's the thing either. We're just, you know, we're we're hoping to get some some sense of normalcy in here. And, you know, the the goofy thing that people are talking about in this area is since people here especially love college football, they're saying, oh, well, just do whatever you got to do. To make sure we get college football, because if we don't get college football, you're going to see some people just absolutely lose their shit, and that's you know they're probably right. But the challenge now in trying to limit the spread of COVID nineteen, trying to limit the onset of all this stuff, trying to get people to social distance and wear your mask and all this that and the other, it shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't be that some. It shouldn't be something that we have to push people towards doing. Because especially like the mask thing. You've seen people for several days here now. They've really started to put over the importance of wearing a mask and limiting the spread of COVID-19. And people have said, well, oh, you're trying to limit our freedoms. You're trying to take us to a point where we're more complacent to accept whatever is handed down by the government and make us into sheep. Is that? Another? No, they're trying to keep you from dying, possibly. I don't understand why that's so difficult to, to conceive or to accept that the government might actually want you to live you know <laughs> it shouldn't be that big of a challenge realistically folks. And here's here's my point in all this. I made a video a couple days ago talking about all these various masks that I have. Make the mask something fun. Don't treat it like it's some you know set of handcuffs or whatever that you've got to be shackled to. Treat it like it's something fun and enjoyable. I described it in a Facebook post here a couple days ago. It's been about a week or two now. um, Talking about how, you know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to wear helmets. I loved space helmets and football helmets and all kind of helmets. And this, to me, is a lot like that. Because now, instead of, you know, say a, a space helmet, now I can have a cool bandana style mask. Or I could have a mask that's got the South Carolina Gamecocks logo on it. Or I can have a mask that's made from some really felt material that's all slick and silky. You know, it just it, it treat it as something that could be enjoyable. Don't treat it as a pain. Just say, okay, all right. Well, I've got to do this for now, so that hopefully five six months from now I could put this damn thing in a drawer and say, oh well, you know, wasn't that fun or well, wasn't that cool. Now I could don't have to do this anymore. It it shouldn't be that challenging, folks. It shouldn't be that difficult because it's not intended to make you complacent. It's not intended to make you or intended to make you a sheep. It's intended to maybe save your life, maybe save the life of your son, your mother, your father, your grandson, your grandpa, your grandma, aunt, uncle, whoever, cousin, boss you may be like at work. Whoever who cares? It's intended to help people. It should not be that big of a challenge. Just, you know, don't wear the little paper things. I get sick of seeing people wearing those little blue paper masks with the thing dangling over one ear. It's like, is that really doing you any good? I don't think so, because you've got these big gaps around the side of it. And it's, you know, I know it's intended to limit things like spittle and, you know, whatever from coming out of your mouth. And that's, it's really, you know, it's achieving those goals. But it just, it doesn't seem like it's doing anything because it doesn't look like it's got any kind of an adequate seal. That's my my one criticism that I'll say about the the masks some folks are wearing. And don't don't pull it down to where your nose is hanging out. Uh, just you know, wear them correctly. You don't have to wear them in your car either. Don't wear them in your car for God's sakes. It's 112 degrees around here right now. You don't need to be wearing them in your car. But do wear the mask. Wear your damn mask. I was gonna make a T-shirt design here that said, you know, "Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Listen to Mastodon." That's what people need to be doing more of, anyways. Listening to Mastodon. If you don't know who Mastodon is? Look them up. Good band. But yeah, that's that's pretty much where we are. That's the ins and outs of my life here the past couple of months. Where we've been, where we are, whole nine yards. Has it been weird? Sure. Has it been, you know, enjoyable? Yeah, I will say that in some cases it has been because. Uh, you know, we, we were talking so much about you know, the potential spread of this thing. Well, guess what? Uh, my wife and I, and my son, we spent a week in Myrtle Beach. And if you listen to the news at all, you probably have heard how bad things are in Myrtle Beach in terms of the number of people that have been coming down with it as a result of having been in that area. Well, guess what? We were all there for a week. And my, my son and my in-laws, they were there for 14 days. Nobody has come down with anything at all as a result of having been there. And I'm not going to say that it was because of you know, anything special that we did, because I was out and about. I went to a couple of different places. I went axe throwing for Ground Out Loud. I had a ball axe throwing. I was going to go to Top Golf and was going to spend $40 to hit a bucket of balls or whatever they do there. Uh, it's not a bucket, they shoot the things out of a, a hole and it comes towards your club. But instead, I went through axes and had a great time. Got to throw Ninja Stars. How often do you get to throw Ninja Stars? Never, really, ever. But throwing axes was a lot like darts and bowling combined. A lot of fun. Definitely encourage you, if you've never done it before, check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, But, you know, we had a good time down there in Myrtle Beach. And we're going to continue to make the best of our daily lives, because that's all we can do. You can't live in the doldrums forever. As easy as it would be. And as dark and as gloomy as the world may be right now. You just, you can't... Let the darkness close in around you. you got to find some light somewhere and if that's a hobby, if it's a loved one, if it's you know whatever reason you have to find it's it's out there I promise you for me it's my wife and my son you know that's that's what I have right now um, I wouldn't know what to do without them, and they're what keeps me going and I'm glad I'm still here. I'm glad that uh, the surgery went well. I'm glad that I have been able to come through this and be a little different on the other end. But at the same time, I'm, I'm as good as I'm probably ever going to be at this point. So I'm happy. I'm content. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad to be where I am. I hope you are, too, in some way, shape, or form. I hope you can find the silver lining, for lack of a better phrase. So, on that note, that's going to be enough of me talking about myself and whatnot. I want to do something a little bit more fun. So, we'll be back here in a few minutes to wrap up the program, as only we do with the good old What's Red Beard drinking segment, folks. We'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you for staying tuned in here to the Wrestling Red Beard YouTube channel and the weekly shrimp program. Be back in a few.
1: Virginia, the rich mountains, Jamaica.
0: back gang we're almost done with this year episode of the weekly trim but wanted to get back to an old habit of ours that being to round things off with a segment we like to call what's red beer drinking and uh you know it's kind of (laughs) funny i had a buddy of mine that's actually you know i I should i say a buddy of mine he's a good friend but uh chris wiggins who is a, a professional wrestling referee from this area, uh, Chris has been around for a long time, worked with numerous promotions, both as a referee and as a, a, a in-ring talent. Um, his wife recently gave birth to their second child, a beautiful little boy. Uh, so he's got two sons now. He's got a tag team that's going to be lighting the world on fire here in about maybe 15 years, so keep an eye on those two. Um, but she gave birth here recently. And uh, <laughs> she posted on social media a, uh, a, an image of her enjoying a uh, Smirnoff green apple or sour apple, whatever it is. And the quote under the picture was, uh, good to see you again, old friend. Because, so, of, of course, being pregnant, you're talking about nine months there without having an adult beverage. So here's to you, uh, Mrs. Wiggins and the, the youngster there and whatnot with this here particular segment. What we got for this go-round is a, I won't say it's a controversial thing, but it's one of these newer additions to the adult beverage world in the form of a seltzer. Um, I haven't had a whole lot of these, haven't had this one at all. Um, I've, I think I had, I don't want to know if, I don't remember if it was a White Claw or what brand it was, but I had one of these things before and wasn't. You know, wasn't incredibly impressed by it, but at the same time, it wasn't terrible either. It wasn't, you know, ghastly by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, this one is Bud Light Seltzer Black Cherry. And again, Bud Light is making seltzer. Um, <laughs> that's about all I can tell you, folks. Um, I will say that, you know, with it being a Bud Light product, I don't expect this to be overwhelmingly sweet, even though with black cherry being the flavor component, sometimes that can be a, a pretty a pretty sweet thing there. Uh, the thing with these seltzers is that they tend to have sort of a balanced component to them in that they have a little bit of bitterness, um, but then they have that sweetness that counterbalances it. So it's kind of a, a good combination of things there. Um, but this one is weighing in at 5% ABV, so a little bit more than a traditional, I think, Bud Light. Uh, which is interesting, or definitely more than most brews. Uh, of course, most domestics these days are sitting between four and six percent. Just kind of depends on what you're um, what you're working with there, but that's sort of the average. And this one, as we mentioned, is at five percent. So again, this is Bud Light Seltzer Black Cherry Hard Seltzer, as it's on the the um, tin here, and I'm going to go ahead and pop this open if I can get my fingernails under it. That is, hang on. Please stand by for technical difficulties. Come on, Robert. You're a grown man. Don't let the can beat you. Uh, uh, uh. There we go. We got it. That's a nice pink pull tab there as well. Interesting. And this is really super cold. I put this in the freezer while I was recording the the, uh, other aspects of the show, so this has gotten really good and cold. And that's how I like... You know, because some some beers that they say are supposed to be ingested around 30-some-odd degrees, bullshit. Uh, th- to me, something like this especially is en- is enjoyed as cold as possible. Um, so let's put it to the nose and see if we can get a sense of the aromatics that are involved in this uh, beverage. Mm. Interesting. That is very prevalent in terms of the sense of, of black cherry. And it doesn't have... It you know, it doesn't come off like Kool-Aid black cherry. This comes off as it smelling somewhat like legitimate fruit. That's interesting. Let's just try it one more time here. Yeah, that's got kind of a really good it definitely has the aromatic of something that is sweet that's gonna be um you know, in line with being legitimate to the description of black cherry. Because one of my favorite and this is getting off on a totally different subject, but one of my Favorite icy treats that I always get when we go to University of South Carolina baseball games and whatnot, they sell, there's a, a company called Rita's Italian Ice that sells only at the baseball games and the Carolina events in general, they only sell it there, but they called it garnet and black cherry because the team colors are garnet and black. So they sell garnet and black cherry Italian ice. And this, this has a very similar aroma to that. Um, but enough talking. Let's this is a beverage critique here. Let's put it to the mouth and gums and see what happens here. Oh, oh wow, folks, this is some dangerous stuff right here. Mm. I, I had kind of convinced myself that I was not going to like this, to be honest with you. But really and truly, this is delicious. As I said, this is ice cold but it um it, it's it really needs to be. I think that the best possible way to taste this is when it's very, very cold. The cherry flavor is prevalent, but it is not overbearing. It is not incredibly sweet, but it is appropriately sweet. The thing about these seltzers, and this is um, an interesting aspect to them, is that they have a little bit of that bitterness. They have some tartness to them in the background that evens out whatever... the the sweet flavor that's been added to them is and this is a great uh, sort of middle ground between these two flavors here the flavor of the seltzer and the flavor of the uh, black cherry this is a very well um mixed beverage in terms of the component levels there um i'm gonna go back in for another drink of this hang on one moment here one more drink Very refreshing, very smooth, very easy to drink. I I could easily put down four or five of these in one sitting, and it not be that big of a challenge at all. Wow, I'm very impressed with this. It makes me want to try other varieties of, or excuse me, other flavors of what Bud Light is manufacturing with their seltzer, because I know they've got a, a series of these things, I don't know what all other flavors are out there but um man live if they're all in line with the black cherry then uh, that would be an excellent thing and th- this is really impressing me cuz I- I'm not a big budweiser fan. I like Bud Light lime again when it's ice cold but this is this is right in line with that in terms of it being something that I would really I'll say I would reach for again. Wow. I'm impressed. This is very, very enjoyable. And as I say, very easy to drink this time of year with it being as hot as it is. Um, if you had a couple of these that were ice cold, you know, while you're sitting out on the back porch enjoying the uh, sun or whatnot, or wherever you might be, this would be a really welcome addition to a uh, occasion like that, or just really anything at all. Uh, grilling, uh, just enjoying, you know, I started to say enjoying a athletic event on TV, but I guess if you're watching NASCAR or whatever, you can you can kind of say that that would be the case, but just a very enjoyable um, beverage here. Kind of reminds me of, I don't know if Samuel Adams still manufactures this or not, but Samuel Adams at one point in time did a, um, a cherry wheat brew, which was one of my favorites, and that might be why I like this so much because it reminds me a lot of the Samuel Adams cherry wheat uh, which now I'm wanting to drink that as well because I haven't had it in a long time. But like I say, I don't know if the folks at Sam Adams are still making that or not. And if you aren't, if you're listening, Sam Adams folks, make that damn cherry weed again. That was very good stuff. But this is excellent. I would definitely encourage you if you're a drinking age to give this a try. Get it good and ice cold, though. But I don't know how this. But I really don't know how this is going to taste if it gets warmer than this. It, it might not be as good, to be honest with you. But ice cold. Ooh man, this is some good stuff. It's basic, you know, it's it's basic bitch type thing type beverage, but it it's enjoyable. What can I say? It doesn't have to be flashy or in, you know like some 50-year-old bottle of scotch type thing in order for it to be good and uh, enjoyable as a beverage. So, how marks for Bud Light Seltzer Black Cherry? Good stuff there. And I'd say this episode has been good stuff. Appreciate y'all tuning in once again and for being here with me. I'm glad to be back doing these shows again. I have a plan to continue to do this on a regular basis now that things have somewhat evened out with uh, my lifestyle and with where I am. Uh, I'm hoping to be able to do this maybe on an actual weekly basis so we could live up to it being the weekly trend with Redbeard. Yeah, I you know, I make fun of myself, and I kick myself in the rear end there. So I'm glad you guys are back. I'm glad to be back. Thank you for tuning in. If you have not already, please consider subscribing to the old channel here. Lord knows if we ever get to where we can have professional wrestling again, I do plan on adding more uh, content to the channel in that regard. Um, As a side note to that, if you are looking for some new, fresh, independent professional wrestling from the Carolinas, check out the NAWA channel here on YouTube, the North American Wrestling Alliance, again, NAWA. Michael Elliott and I have been churning out episodes on that channel there for upwards of what seems like two years here now, and we're, I think, at this point, the longest-running weekly or episodic, however you want to call it, program related to independent professional wrestling in the Carolinas. So that ought to be worth something in and of itself. But uh, check it out if you want some new wrestling content over there. There will hopefully eventually be some on this channel as well. But for the time being, we'll be sticking with doing more of these podcasts and maybe some other interesting stuff along the way there too. Appreciate you folks. Be safe. Wear your damn mask. And we'll see you down the road.